0: After tonight, the waiting ends for children and adults all around the world who have been excited for what happens tomorrow, Christmas Day, and, and, and in cultures around the globe, there's different traditions and customs, different family routines, different rhythms, right? And uh, and there are there are children who are going to uh, fall asleep on the job tonight, trying to stay up late to see if Santa, when Santa shows up. Uh, many adults are going to uh, be going into tomorrow trying to rekindle that sense of wonder, Christmas magic in their hearts. Um, one thing that's for certain, whenever it is Christmas Day, is that if you if you keep that day, if you mark that day, if you celebrate Christmas, then you respond differently on December 25th than you do to say April 12th or June 2nd, even if those happen to be your birthdays, right? Like like it's a different thing. You wake up differently on Christmas um, if it's something that you celebrate, if it's something you've been expecting and excited for. Uh, In in our particular family unit, uh, it's usually a mix of the following things, not necessarily always in this perfect order, but uh, we get woken up by the kids, stockings get emptied, Breakfast is begun. Family and friend begin to arrive. Uh, The story of the nativity is read. Presents are opened. Bellies get full. Uh, And now that the NFL plays so many games on Christmas Day, also games are going to be watched. And I love that. I love every part of that, right? Right? And, and hopefully uh, in in your, whatever your particular family unit looks like in this particular season, that there are some version of uh, joyous or festive traditions that you're able to keep. But something's certain, no matter what happens tomorrow morning, it's Christmas Day. And on December 25th, I wake up differently. I'm excited uh, differently. Now, I get it. I'm overly sentimental. I'm with you. But I, uh, but I say all this not just to bring it up because I'm like a, a five-year-old who's super excited for tomorrow morning, although that is true. Um, I, I share all this because of expectation and hope, about arrival and desire. And I realize that not all of us uh, are thinking about Christmas anywhere near what I just described, which isn't always the way I view Christmas either, but there can be a number of ways that we view Christmas and that we don't uh, feel very festive this year for a number of reasons that totally make sense. Instead, though, I want you to think of some other event uh, or some other reality in your life, either in the past or the present or something you're looking forward to in the future, Uh, something that you're like, I just can't wait for that moment to arrive. Uh, Maybe it's, uh, you have Taylor Swift concert tickets for Miami in next October. Uh, Maybe it's like some big game that you're excited to go to. Maybe it's a big date that you're hoping comes to fruition, a dream vacation. I mean, whatever. Like just the idea that you have this sense of expectation for a, a moment to arrive. Whatever it is, when the arrival happens, you have to do something different. The arrival upends the status quo. Does that make sense? Like you don't wake up on Christmas morning, if you're, if you're me at least, and you go like, well, let's just see what's on the news today. Like, it's like, I'm, I'm excited with the kids and I'm like over the moon. Um, another way to phrase it is if something is game changing, then the game has to be changed, right? Otherwise it wouldn't be game changing. And this kind of brings us to the tension that we're gonna wrestle with tonight. And I want you to really wrestle with within your own heart tonight. Tonight, we're gonna to be exploring what, is it, what has it looked like in the past? What does it look like in the present? And what will it look like in the future when God's people experience his arrival? Is his arrival something that captivates us the way that my five-year-old heart does for Christmas Day? or the way that uh, you do about a concert or about a game or about whatever. Do we continue on our lives at the moment of experiencing God's presence as if nothing has changed? Or do we hear a call to respond as if everything has changed? So tonight we're going to conclude our Advent series called The Arrival. Now, if you're just joining us, it's okay if you haven't listened to the last three weeks. Uh, You're more than welcome to if you want to check out the podcast or go on the website or whatever. Um, But I'll give you the, the quick highlight version. In our series, what we've been doing is we've been tracing the family story of Jesus. Uh, his ancient ancestry that is recorded by Luke uh, in his gospel account and by Matthew in his gospel account where they're gonna go way, way back. In fact, uh, in Luke, he's gonna pull it all the way back to Adam and track all the way from generations from Adam all the way to Jesus about 2000 years ago. And so we're gonna track through his, we've been tracking through his family starting starting with Adam, through generations, touching on a variety of different stories of Jesus' ancestors uh, and discovering, most importantly, a God who has always been faithful and true. Then he is faithful and true, and yet he is still willing to work with us inept human beings. Isn't that wild? He is willing to step into our story and invite us into his story despite the darkness of sin but despite the weakness of humanity, but despite our lack of power and, uh, or the unlikeliness of the overlooked. Now, last Sunday, we, we pressed pause in this family tree uh, at King David. Uh, king David, you may know him of David and Goliath fame, uh, and he was the unlikely shepherd king. He was born in Bethlehem, and he was dismissed and overlooked. His story is fascinating. God would call David a man after his own heart. And that he would use this very imperfect character of David to bring prosperity and security to Israel and to point the entire nation back towards the heart of God. Now, David would eventually die, and one of his sons would take the throne, Solomon. And he would take the throne and we get a vision in Solomon of a king of peace filled with wisdom given by the spirit of God, bringing glory to God through his leadership. And yet Solomon is woefully imperfect as well. And by the end of Solomon's life, his heart had been so twisted inward that he was defining good and bad on his own terms. And it was dividing not only his own heart, but it literally divided the kingdom of Israel in half after his death. And with the generations that would pass from Solomon over and over and over again. We don't get a lineage that was like, like it was only looking up from here. They were, it was only looking down from here. It was not power, prestige, godliness, honor, all the good things. It was corruption, uh, dissension, division, anarchy, brutality, injustice, straying away from God in his heart. And yet God's desire was still to be near to his people. And there's this really cool story in Second uh, Kings chapter 22. I'm just going to be there for a moment. So uh, feel free to open up if you'd like. But it's about a king, an eight-year-old king. Josiah was eight years old when he began his reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Ad, um, Adai of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of Yahweh. And he walked in all the way of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And so what we find in Josiah is this bright spark. Like, oh my goodness, maybe this guy, he's the kind of guy like that, we, that we need to get back on the right foot. And so Josiah... He loved God. And it's using this language that's meant to bring us back to King David and even further back to the garden when it says that Adam was created to walk with God, to do life with God, to co-rule with God. That David was a man after his own heart. And here you have Josiah, the kind of guy who's actually doing the good things. And, he, and see though, in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, there was the temple. And the temple was the place that represented God's presence with his people. But after centuries, it has now fallen into ruin and decay. It has now become a real life metaphor for the way that the people had viewed God's ways in his presence. Passé, not relevant. We get to, do, we get to write the call, make the calls, right? We don't need God's presence. And so... Josiah is 26 years old and he orders that the temple be repaired because he's looking and he's like, this is not who we are called to be. Like we need to honor God's presence in our midst. So he orders this epic refer reha- uh, project on, on the temple. And uh, they, like they bring up all the please pardon our pixie dust signs and, and it's demo day. And they discover something. And so his secretary brings this something to the king and he only refers to it as a scroll. And he begins to read this scroll to Josiah. And with each word, Josiah is hearing God's voice for the first time because these are the words of the Torah, the Hebrew scriptures, and they had been lost for centuries. All right, let's put that in our context. Imagine, And for centuries, the church can, we continue to meet as a church. And it's not that we like misplaced all of our Bibles for one day. It's that all of us no longer had a Bible for centuries. And we kept like doing the whole church thing and, and coming together, but we didn't even know that there ever was a Bible at a certain point. Wouldn't that be wild? That's where they were sitting. They did not have the Torah and they didn't even know they were missing the Torah. This is a big deal. And so imagine this scenario. God is now arriving to King Josiah through the words of scripture. And as the Torah is read, King Josiah shrugs and says, Whatever. No, that's not what he does at all, right? He is grieved at how far away God's desires are from how the people are living. He grieves, he repents he is completely shaken up. And his repentance leads to hope. And his hope leads to worship. And his worship leads to radical obedience. And for the rest of his life and reign, the nation's heart would be rekindled towards God as Josiah would lead these major reforms to move his people towards loving God and loving people, pursuing mercy and justice for the marginalized and the oppressed. And King Josiah, he experienced God's arrival. It's like he woke up on Christmas morning and he didn't decide to treat it like it was some random day. He was changed. He was changed as God arrived through his words and he responds in sorrow, then repentance, then hope and obedience. Now, unfortunately, as we humans always do time went on and the people after Josiah's death desired to trust their own voice their own understanding of what is right and wrong over God's and by the very next generation their own wisdom had split them even further and they were taken into captivity by the Babylonian empire Now, the Jewish people would at this point become an ethnic people group without a home. And they would be passed along from one oppressive regime to the next, to the next, to the next, until they found themselves now in captivity by the Romans. And the once great family of David has now fallen into obscurity, spread out throughout the ancient world in a place called Nazareth in Galilee there was a descendant of David named Joseph. He was a craftsman and he was betrothed to a young woman named Mary, who although she was a virgin, she was told that she was going to conceive and bear a son by the spirit of God. And he would be Emmanuel, God with us. And we get a vision into Mary's heart of praise when she then goes to her cousin Elizabeth's house and and she begins to sing this song quoting Old Testament prophecy along the way. She sings this beautiful song. So she starts with her own story. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And so what she's saying here is, I'm I'm of humble estate, like, I'm so unlikely. I'm unworthy. Why am I even in this story? Could you imagine being this young teenage girl finding out that you are pregnant? And in this space, she not only responds with, Okay, I'll do it, but God, you would invite me in on this story. She's honored. And the song continues. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And so then it's like she zooms out. God, how could you use me? So like looking at her entire entire ethnic people group, the people of Israel, she's like, how could you use us? How could you continue to be merciful and remember that you are merciful? She is looking God going, God, you are faithful and true. I know who you are. And if you're inviting me in, I'm already in. So God in the flesh begins to grow in her womb in Galilee. And once again, though, another shepherd king, overlooked and despised, would be born in Bethlehem. And this comes out of Luke chapter two. If you want to flip there. Now, this passage probably is familiar to many of you if you ever hung around a Christmas Eve service. But would you allow this to land on your heart and on your mind with freshness? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Now when the angels went away from them, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem, see this thing that's just happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they, they made known to, uh, the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it, well, they wondered at what the shepherds were saying. They're like, Say what? But but Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. All these things, pondering them in her heart. So what Luke does is he takes the frame off of the shepherds and then puts it on to how everyone is responding to the shepherd's news. And then the screen changes once again and shows the inner thoughts and the inner desires, the inner longings of within Mary's heart. See, Mary... Mary was unlikely for this particular story. And yet, in this moment, she holds in her hand the snake-crushing king. Remember where we started this journey all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, that there was this promise, this prophecy from God that there's going to be a descendant of Eve who is going to crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent is going to take a nip at his heel. And in that moment, the baby, the child that she's holding in her arms is exactly that king. Nothing that humanity could ever do could ever throw off a God who has been and always will be faithful and true. And when Mary realized this, she could not go business as usual. She couldn't wake up on December 25th as if it was some other day. Not saying that Jesus was born on December 25th, fairly unlikely, but you get the picture, right? Obviously, this baby is going to change her life, right? Like that's the way that whole thing works of motherhood. But she goes further than just what would be obvious and apparent. She responds with her voice in praise and her life in obedience. Even though in just a few short decades that obedience would take her to the foot of the cross, preparing that same body that she held in her arms, preparing it for burial. Scorned, mocked, abused. That baby she cleaned off. That baby, that body, the body the body of the true son of Adam and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Rahab and Ruth and David and Josiah and Joseph, all of that lineage, the, the culmination of that family tree is being placed in a tomb. Have you ever wondered why did Jesus have to die? Like, you know, you know the, the standard answer, but like, but like, why, right? Like why? Out of all the different ways to save, like why this one? Couldn't have been there an easier one? And the answer is because God is faithful and true. Jesus had to die because God is faithful and true. Because at the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter three, God would tell Eve there will be descendant who will crush the head of the serpent, and he will take. Nip at his heel, because you see, our sinful human hearts are just like a mixed bag, where it's like filled with light and dark. We are naturally dead in our sins and trespasses, according to the scriptures. We are naturally set against God and His ways. We naturally want to do our thing over His, and we have a, an enemy, the serpent, who desires. To kill, steal, and destroy. And he wants to get us to believe that the darkness is actually the light. And the only thing that could remove the darkness is God himself in the flesh of humanity himself. You would need the the unlikeliest of combinations. A king who is absolutely powerful and yet is filled with the shepherd's tenderness and care. The unlikeliness, the unlikeliest combination for beyond anything that you or I could ever comprehend, one who could bear our sin and death on the cross, not so that we could be better or be happier or feel any which way, not so that you can just not go to hell and instead you get to go to heaven. Jesus died so that we could be is and in him we discover life to the full and in him we discover an eternal place in his heavenly kingdom for sure but those are are subsequent to the fact that we are His, if we know him, if we love him, if we surrender our life to him, then we are his. Because when Satan thought that he defeated him on the cross, Jesus got the last laugh on the third day when he would rise from the grave. Because in that moment, death was put to death and life became a reality for the first time in the history of humanity since the fall. And that leaves for you and I, the most significant question that you can ever respond to. How will you respond to the God who is faithful and true? Now there's options. You can choose to respond to the God who is faithful and true by not believing that God is faithful or true. That believe that God can be a multitude of things, that you could believe that God can exist in a multitude of ways. You can believe that. That is a choice. You can believe that there is no God at all, who, let alone one that was faithful or true. You could say a quick prayer, go to church every once in a while, but then largely live as if nothing has changed. Or you surrender everything completely, wholly to him because you don't wake up on Christmas Day right and act as if nothing has changed. If Jesus arrived and if Jesus is who he said he is, if he is God incarnate, faithful and true, then everything has already changed. And at the moment that you confess that with your mouth that he is Lord, that means he is master and that you say, my life, it's yours. I want your life instead. Everything changes. It's not game changing if the game isn't changed. And see, we are welcomed into this forever family of God because Jesus, going from Adam all the way to Jesus, you see this this old family that exists. But in Jesus, we discover a new family story beginning where we can be adopted and born again into a family that is not marked by sin and death and bondage. And that's just the reality of the human family. But his new family is one filled with life, light, and freedom. And guess what? In this family, we have some family values. And in this family, we respond. In this family, we respond. What are you supposed to do? Well, if you're a part of this family, then you, we, you respond. If you're not a part of this family, then you are invited to respond. And we see this played out in the life of the early church when the promised Holy Spirit came upon the church in Jerusalem and they began to live lives of epic response. In Acts chapter two, it tells us that they responded in generosity and love and care and sacrificial loving giving towards the marginalized and the poor in their midst. They boldly preached the good news that God had arrived. They preached the kingdom is here. They preach that the long-awaited snake-crushing king has already come to establish his kingdom. And tonight, for us, we live in this place that began then and has continued up until now at this point in history, a period of time that we can call the already and the not yet. Already, we live after the first arrival of Jesus. He has already come. That's not like Spoiler alert on Christmas morning. Whoa, Jesus, he arrived in Bethlehem. Like, like that, that, that is a fixed moment in history. And not yet has he arrived the second time. Because there's gonna be a day when all things are made new. When death is put to death for good. When, when the serpent is no longer able to strike at the descendants of Adam and Eve, when the tears are all wiped away. Y'all want to flip to Revelation chapter seven and we're going to close with this passage tonight. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. And after this, I looked. And behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white rubs with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Get this image beginning to unfold of this moment when everything has changed. Now, you may not see all the, all the details of the multitude at first reading, but I'm going to read that first part again, and I want you to look closely. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Do you see that? Did you look closely in your mind's eye? Because if you look closely, you'll discover every descendant of the new family that was established by Jesus present. You will see in that scene, if you look closely, brothers and sisters from the first century church in Jerusalem there. If you look closely, you'll see Catholic believers from 400 AD, Protestant reformers from 1500s, Coptic Christians in Egypt from the 1800s, house church members from the underground church in China who are worshiping today. And those sitting in this room tonight who have laid down their lives in front of Jesus and have become a part of his family. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the only passage in scripture where you're actually in. When the bride of the Messiah arrives, when the the bride of the lamb shows up and experiences God's final arrival moment with King Jesus on the throne, our only response isn't going to be seven out of 10, right? It's gonna be, unfiltered worship that penetrates the depths of our soul and brings us to a joy that the best moments of this life, the absolute pinnacle moments of this life are merely like a tiny, tiny, tiny signpost pointing towards and I don't say any of this because that's like my the easiest natural propensity of my of my heart and my motivations. In fact, I find it difficult oftentimes to get my, my heart to fully be satisfied in him alone. But guess what? At this scene, all that is undone. That struggle within you where you're like, I just want to focus on worshiping Jesus. Where is it coming from? I don't know how to get there. It used to feel so easy. That's all done away with. The internal conflict of your spiritual soul— chucked out the window all that is left is joy that you were created to experience all along and it'll be like christmas morning if christmas morning was infinitely better and never ended so christmas is a celebration right it's important that we note that Christmas is not a celebration of family. It is not a celebration of good food. It is not a celebration of presents. It is not a f- celebration of Hallmark movies. Now, I love every single one of those things on Christmas and outside of Christmas as well. Less Hallmark movies, mainly Christmas on Hallmark movies time. But all that to say, those things are not what Christmas is about. It is not about your family. It is not about good food. It is not about presents. It is not about Hallmark movies. It is a celebration of a God who is faithful and true. All those other things are cherry on God. And those are good cherries, right? It is celebration that a a prophecy that was prophesied millennia ago, that a descendant of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. That it was in that moment, those thousands and thousands of years ago, that ever since that moment, it was as if it had already passed because God is faithful and true to his word. So it's not like a question mark of, is he or isn't he or is he? He was, and in Jesus he did. And the question isn't if he arrived. It's how will you respond to the fact that he has already arrived? And so what I want to do right now is I just want to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment. if you're here tonight and you lack confidence that you've ever truly surrendered your life over to Jesus, that you've never fully put your faith in him, that you've thought at times maybe Jesus plus other things, you can respond to his arrival tonight by simply according to the scriptures, praying to him, confessing your deep need to him. Not just repenting of some individual sin actions, we repenting of a heart that desires to do things your own way. And if that's you, your invitation is to respond to him. And so if you came with somebody who you know who loves and follows Jesus, I would invite you to have a conversation with them about it. Say, I'm curious about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, or if you would like, after the gathering, we're gonna have some prayer volunteers are gonna be up here who would love to just talk with you wherever you're at they would pray with you pray for you process with you whatever you need in that space if you're here tonight and you're grieving and you're tired you're weary or you're depressed the christmas season you just can't wait for it to be over honestly and not because you're some kind of a grinch just because life's hard the invitation for you is to respond to his arrival by focusing your gaze upon him because Jesus for over 2,000 years now has never moved. He has been hanging out at the right hand of the father. He doesn't move away from us, but circumstances can make it hard to stay near and we can lose focus easily. And so for you, know this, that his greatest hope for you is that you would abide deeply with him, that you would stay connected deeply with him. So if that's you tonight, I wanna, if you are feeling weary or heavy laden or just burdened and frustrated or mad at God or whatever you're feeling, I wanna invite you to just raise your hand right now and I would love to simply pray for you. Father, I pray my friends who are in this space tonight and they're struggling. Maybe the Christmas season has been hard. Uh, it's maybe been triggering. Uh, maybe it's been a lot of things. Uh, maybe the last year has been a lot of things. Maybe the last four years has been a lot of things. So would you, would you draw near to them and help them to draw near to you? Would you refresh their soul and their heart and their mind? For all of us, the invitation that we have is to respond, to prepare him room in our hearts and our minds. Like Isaac Watts wrote in the song, Joy to the World. He writes, let every heart prepare him room. In other words, get the space and the freedom to call you out of spaces of sinfulness and into his warm embrace, opening up your heart and your mind to experience him. And so I want to pray for all of us tonight that that would become a reality for us. Lord, I just I thank you that you are kind and you are good and you are faithful. I pray for my friends in this room tonight uh, that maybe they're 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 rocking it, they're doing well, they're they're drawing near to you regularly. Maybe they're not, but wherever we're out in the spectrum, Lord, I just pray that tonight would be uh, a significant moment, that it would be uh, a moment of experiencing your arrival, and that we would leave experiencing you forever changed. And that we'd remember that you—that while we might leave a particular moment with you, you never abandon us. You never leave or forsake us. Now, what we're gonna do, which we've done over the last three weeks of Advent, is we're gonna light our Advent candles as we do a responsive reading. And so I'm gonna invite the Gibson family to come on up. And so as Miranda and Joseph Go ahead and light the first three candles in the band. Get those heads and get set up as well. Here's what I'd love for you to do. I want you to simply just close your eyes again. And I want you to just take a few deep breaths. Would you take some deep breaths with me? Just to kind of prepare room in our hearts and our minds. Go ahead and breathe in through your nose. And out through your mouth. As we've done the last three weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna do our responsive reading. And so what that looks like is I'm going to do the first reading that'll be on the screen and then you are all gonna respond back with the shorter, briefer phrases. That's... And so I'm gonna invite Brandon and Joseph to go ahead and light the fourth candle, representing the love of Christ. Mm-hmm. Let us celebrate. For word has been made flesh and the babe love has a face and his name is Jesus. With the shepherds and the angels on a starry night, we rejoice over our savior. Would you read this together? For the father sent his only son into the world and the glory of God has dwelt among us. He left his heavenly throne for the lowliness of a stable, becoming Emmanuel, God with us. and his son to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. In Emmanuel, we see love. He has remembered us and secured our home. Awaited King, the Word made flesh our holy babe. Amen. Would you pray with me, Father? I thank you for Christmas. get to celebrate your arrival on the scene through your son. That you are faithful and true even at the cost of your own life. That you are faithful and true even though it means giving up time with your son in the heavenly realm so that he could dwell here in the muck and mire of human existence. Thank you for the miracle that could lead to a miracle. That Jesus was born, God in the flesh, so that some 30 years later, that flesh would be pierced for our transgressions, that he would be crushed for our iniquities, that upon him would be the chastisement that brings praise you and so Lord as we respond now in worship would you captivate our hearts and our minds with you